it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. The following is a public service announcement. Election day is near. Go to the polls and vote. Vote for the Kennedy of your choice, but vote. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is, in fact, primary election day today. Polls uh, opened at 7 and uh, closed at 8 p.m. As long as you're in line by 8 p.m., you're permitted to vote. No ID is required to vote. Face coverings are highly recommended but not required to vote at the polls. You may register to vote on Election Day if needed. Remember, this is a primary, so no splitting the ticket. Um, That's never allowed during a primary election. Um, There was a list of these things uh, published... um, on uh, Facebook uh, from the free press and uh, I reposted it to my page and somebody raised an issue about the no ID being required to vote and just between you and me I'm not that concerned about that there's a list of registered voters and um, only one person can vote per registered name so if five Tom Sumners vote today um, you know, there's a good chance that those will be thrown out because uh, once it's checked against the uh, voter registration thing. So I, I don't think that that's a big concern. I don't have strong feelings about whether or not it doesn't bother me to show my ID when I vote, but I'm not really concerned about massive voter fraud. I'm more concerned that you get out and get your vote counted. So let's uh, let's leave that as the important message of the day. If you um, got a ballot by mail and haven't mailed it in yet, you can deliver those to your uh, city or township clerk. But if you have any questions, contact your city or township clerk and find out what you need to know to uh, make sure your vote gets counted today. Um, And remember, uh, Secretary of State is cautioning that it could take a little longer because of the uptick in absentee voters 
to uh, get the tabulations. So we may not be seeing it by 8 or 9 o'clock like we typically do in primary elections. But, uh, but we'll see and we'll hear all about it tomorrow, hopefully t tomorrow, on Armchair Politics. Um, got a great show in store today. We're going to be talking about... Uh, uh, race, race relations, uh, diversity from several different perspectives starting in just a couple of minutes with uh, a uh, author of young adult novels, uh, uh, Taylor K. Maya has a new book, Paolo Santiago and the River of Tears. And uh, then we're going to talk in the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour about an interesting project called the 21-Day Racial Equity Habit Building Challenge. We'll talk with uh, creators uh, Debbie Irving and uh, Dr. Marguerite Pennick parks Then in the third hour of our three-hour tour, a, uh, Laura Gomez from UCLA will be joining me to talk about her book, um, Inventing Latinos, a new story of American racism. So, lots of uh, diversity on the show today. I hope you'll uh, stay tuned and enjoy it. In the meantime, I'm going to uh, turn it over to, um, I guess I'm turning it over to me because we're going to hear my conversation from earlier this morning with uh, author Taylor K. Maya coming up, uh, coming up now. And, uh, so stay tuned. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is um, an author with the uh, Rick Riordan Presents series, um, she is a, uh, I believe this is a debut novel for a character called Paola Santiago. Uh, the book is The River of Tears, and the author is Taylor K. Maya. And she joins me now by phone. Taylor, did I get through the pronunciations okay? You did, yeah. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'm going to be careful if I... If I uh, if I stumble, forgive me. Um, but let me ask let me ask this. I'm, I'm really curious because you're not the first I've had on who has caught the eye of Rick Riordan. How did you? <laughs> um, well, I actually my my first novel was a young adult that came out last year, and right after we sold that, I heard about the Rick Riordan Presents imprint, and I grew up a big fan of all the Percy Jackson books, like a lot of us did, I think. And as soon as I heard about it. And the first book in that series is uh, Aru Shaw. And I was so excited about the idea that um, he was providing this space for marginalized authors to write mythology about their own cultures. So I got in touch with my representative and I was like, this is all I want. <laughs> it's my dream. I want to write for this imprint. And since we were already doing young adults back then, um, he was like, you know, let's wait and kind of establish what we're doing now before we do that. But I never forgot about the imprint. And then when the time was better, I was like, okay, now? How about now? <laughs> and so we uh, we submitted a proposal to him then. And luckily, Rick grew up in South Texas and was already familiar with the premise of my ghost story. And so, yeah, the rest was kind of history. But it was, yeah, it, from the second I heard of it, I was really excited about the whole concept. Now, now wait a minute. He... 
Rick Riordan was already familiar with this ghost story? Is it um, is it a legend in those parts? Yes, yeah, the legend of La Llorona. It's pretty uh, pretty ubiquitous. Every every uh, Mexican American kid that I know grew up terrified of it. So it was, uh, already has uh, quite a legend to it. And and what part of the country is this in? Uh, this is the Southwest, so Texas. Um, I think the myth probably originated in Mexico, but yeah, border border areas, especially near bodies of water. Definitely, that's where we grew up scared of it. <laughs> And and you now you talk about in the uh, in the book, and maybe this is something you experienced yourself. But um, Paola's mother um, had strict rules not to go near the river because of this ghost. Yeah, definitely. Um, my mom wasn't specifically uh, quite as invested as Pyle's mom when it comes to <laughs> superstitions and ghost stories, but I definitely have friends and grew up with friends and cousins who were not allowed to play near the water. And if they were, they were terrified too anyway. So. Now, I'm, I'm reading a, uh, a liner from the, uh, from the book jacket, and it starts right out, Space-obsessed Paola Santiago. And her two best friends, uh, Emma and Dante, know the rules. Stay away from the river. Um, space obsessed. How does, from a writer's standpoint, why is the character space obsessed if this is going to be a ghost story? Well, first of all, I wanted to talk about um, just how girls, and especially girls of color, are sort of discouraged from getting into STEM fields in general, even though a lot of us have interest in it from an early age. It's kind of like, it's not as encouraged as it is for our other classmates. And so I wanted to talk about a girl who was, you know, grew up steeped in sort of her culture's mythology, but also who was really interested in more modern stuff and wanted to be involved in science and then also just um you know some of our traditions seem like they're pretty at odds with a more modern society and i wanted to show how pow growing up you know is having this total disconnect between what she's learning in school and what she's interested in and then like the traditions and superstitions that her mom holds and just kind of like how to hold space for both of those things when you're growing up because it can be tough but is this also a way of, of setting up um, scientific exploration of supernatural? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, without, you know, giving too much away about the plot, definitely something that Pao becomes more interested in as it becomes clear to her that her mom's superstitions aren't exactly the uh, outdated nonsense that she thinks in the beginning of the book. But, but Taylor, I, I, I just couldn't, I don't want to give away any spoiler alerts, but I, I just couldn't help noticing that, you know, as I was uh, reading the synopsis of the book, this space obsessed person confronts a ghost and i and i'm thinking wait a minute that just that just completely left turned at albuquerque <laughs> I, I couldn't <laughs> literally uh, yeah yeah i couldn't um <laughs> you know it 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 struck me as this uh, you know is the potential for a confrontation of science and supernatural it's it's kind of built into the dna of the plot yeah, absolutely. And I think that was, you know, it's important to uh, to talk about the places where those things kind of butt heads, definitely, because 
I think Pow, and in the book too, without also giving too much away, it's um, it's kind of part of how she has dealt with being surrounded by all these ghost stories and scary things growing up is by being like, oh, well, these things are scary, but here's the reason behind them. So she's really interested in like the actual dangers of swimming in the river, like cold pockets and hidden currents and stuff like that. She wants to find a reason to be scared of something that doesn't seem like nonsense to her. But then when it comes down to it, yeah, it's it's a little bit science versus supernatural, but it's also a little bit, you know, modern society versus her mom's sort of outdated beliefs. So I can't really get too much more into how she solves the conflict within herself without giving away the book, but it definitely digs it for sure. Well, we don't, we, yeah, I, like I said, I don't want to give away any spoiler alerts, but, um, but I yeah. do want to explore this notion of... Uh, the the folktale la la llorona am i saying that right yeah um how does a a a folktale like that follow people from mexico into the southwest or other parts of the country how is it that that's something that that maybe happened or a, a story that grew out of events in one place follow people to another place well, I think when, especially with, you know, immigration and migration and people moving, you have whole communities of people that, you know, south, the Southwest used to be Mexico. <laughs> so I think when the uh, when the border moves, some of those stories stay the same. And then also, I think, you know, as, as a culture, we're fascinated with stories that maybe give us a real heads up about danger. So like a lot of the story of La Llorona is like, you know, be careful near the water, which I'm for kids, which I'm sure, you know, there were, there were, there are real reasons to be careful near the water when you're a kid. So um, I think just like stories that pose sort of a cautionary tale definitely seem like they are, they linger (laughs) in our cultural identity. But then also, yeah, I think uh, there's definitely something to be said for the tradition of oral storytelling and how we retain culture that way. So people migrating from Mexico or, you know, the U.S. border migrating past them definitely uh, hold on to their cultural traditions by holding on to those stories and passing them down. When and how did you get started writing? Um, I like to say I won a poetry contest when I was in second grade, (laughs) but I think it started before that. Um, I've just always been pretty obsessed with recording what I see and interpreting the world through words. So I started that at a really young age. I remember having a first grade teacher that sent us home with this, like, make your own book kit. And it was my favorite part of elementary school. So I think I've been writing in one way or another ever since then. Um, And then I didn't get started seriously. I had my daughter. um, She's seven now. But I when when she was born, she's, you know, a mix of many races. And I was looking around at just the offerings that were available to her literature wise and not being super impressed with the diversity in kids literature. And so I started um, coming up with story ideas that would, you know, represent my culture and then also kind of be something for her to read when she got older and that's when I got into the world of young adult and middle grade literature and kind of got more serious about it. More with young adult novelist Taylor K. Maya. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. Can the lady the house, please? <laughs> you thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, here Elvis from Graceland in the Sky. Soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Hurley Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes. The king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with young adult novelist Taylor K. Maya. Straight ahead. I don't know if you're seeing it too, but I'm certainly seeing a lot more offerings for young people that are culturally diverse. Um, is is the audience newly there for that, or has the audience been there all along and, and writers and publishers are just beginning to catch up? I think it's definitely the latter. <laughs> I feel like there's... Um there's definitely kind of a surge of more culturally diverse stories in the last few years, which is really heartening. Um, but I know growing up as a kid from, you know, maybe like a non-default American culture, it was hard for me to find books to read that weren't, that were both, you know, that reflected my culture, but also weren't like an issue book, like, you know, sort of a cautionary tale or like a story about poverty or something really heavy. Um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, fantasy or fun stuff that reflected those cultures. It seemed like those stories weren't for us. And I think, you know, that translates into all this terrible stuff, like assuming that kids of color just aren't big readers when maybe there just weren't books that, you know, were catching their interest. So I think now there's publishing is sort of discovering that there's this huge rabid audience that wants more stories like that that have been there all along and they're just sort of starting to catch up which is good we have a long way to go but we're getting started well you know you mentioned a default american culture um and that's the first time i've heard anybody use that phrase and i'm not sure exactly what that is um, or, or if it still exists or if, if it's changing. What, do you think it's changing? Do you think, uh, um, or, or is there still um, this, this expectation of what American culture is? Yeah, I think it definitely still exists. I mean, we're, we're making progress, but I think, uh, honestly, probably, you know, the, the default, I would say, and from my experience, just writing books about, you know, Latinx people, it's, uh, it's definitely still the assumption that if you're talking about Americans, you're talking about, you know, straight white people. <laughs> and I think Western Europeans, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a really outdated default, I think, because there's just like we have so many different expressions of different cultures in this country, which is, you know, something I think that makes it great. So hopefully, you know, as 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 businesses, publishers start to see that we're hungry for those stories, hopefully, you know, the the hope is that the media will start to reflect the d- diverse cultural experience in this country. And hopefully, you know, people will start seeing that default differently. And maybe we're taking the first steps, but I definitely think it still exists. Are the feelings and aspirations and experiences of a character like Paola fundamentally different than that of uh, our Western European counterparts? No, I, I mean, I think a lot of the, you know, the aspirations and hopes and dreams and stuff are, are they really match up pretty well. The experience is definitely different, though. <laughs> I think um, there are a lot of, you know, there there are more obstacles towards getting to those dreams for a kid like Pow, I think. And the first obstacle really is just, you know, like we were just talking about, maybe not seeing people who look like you in, reflected in your media or seeing them, you know, in positions of huge success. I think it's, you know, 
it's harder to dream big when you don't see people who look and live like you achieving those dreams i think so yeah i think she definitely would still have the big dreams but maybe it's a little harder for her to access them than it is for her western european counterparts do does um having and promoting characters from different cultures help those cultures develop self-esteem through a better sense of belonging I definitely think so. Yeah, I've um I've been lucky enough to go on tour for my my first two novels are young adults, so a little bit older audience than this one. And um yeah, pretty much what I've noticed going on tour and meeting the kids who are reading them is you hear a lot of like, wow, I've never seen a character in a book with a name like mine. I've never met an author from my culture that's writing books at this level and like it seems, I mean, it, it's really, like, it's both heartbreaking and wonderful because it's, like, it's lovely to, you know, give people an example of what that is in, in your books, but also sad that maybe this is the first time they're seeing it. So, yeah, I think it's really important to be able to see people like you in your media, and that definitely helps with self-esteem. The um, Now, you mentioned uh, touring with the book. That's got to be a little tough this time around. Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, last year, I had my my first novel released in February of last year, so I got to do two pretty big tours for that, and it was great. And then I have I have three books out this year, so I was planning on being on the road quite a lot this year. And then yeah, we're uh, we're pivoting to a different different sort of touring, so there's more distant virtual type stuff and i think everyone's just kind of getting used to the process of promoting books without being able to go places in person (laughs) and and how is that happening how how are you able to reach out to readers you um you strike me taylor as as someone who really enjoys the interaction after the book is out the you know the the promotion part of it and getting out and meeting people and and talking to people and getting feedback from people. Um, how, how are you able to do that under these these pandemic conditions? Yeah, I do. I love that part. Um, it's, you know, it's so strange because you write for years and years and it's just kind of you and the blank page alone in the room. And then once you get the taste of what it's like to go out and talk to people who have actually read the book and kind of, yeah, get that feedback and energy from readers it's it's hard to go without it's um there we're we're doing a pretty good job of using social media i think i've been able to connect with a lot of readers there and then my whole um this week i'll be doing a bunch of virtual events um through bookstores so zoom instagram live stuff like that uh so people can interact you know with the chat feature and ask questions and stuff so that's that's it's good, but it's not as good. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to being able to go back out in person. Um, and you said you've got three books this year. What What is the writing process like for you, Taylor? How long does it take to knock out a book? It definitely depends on the book. <laughs> I keep trying to get, I think this, the one I, I just finished the sequel for this book, and I think it was my seventh novel. And I think every time... I hope that it's going to be more uniform. Every time I think I've unlocked the secret, like, okay, now this is this is it. We're going to do it just like this every time. But 
books are more finicky than that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I have some books that like only want to be written between the hours of 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. and some that you can write early in the morning. I had a book a couple of years ago that like only wanted to be written at this certain coffee shop. So I've, I've learned to just kind of like let the book tell me when and where it wants to be written. It's much easier than trying to fight it. <laughs> That's so funny yeah, because somebody... Somebody asked uh, Stephen King one time if he wrote to the muse or to a schedule, and he said, oh, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. Um, <laughs> but you're the first person I've heard describe um, individual books as finicky. And and yeah. having that and having that sense of some books write better in a particular location, um, do you do you outline? Do you come up with characters first, and then what would happen to them, or do you come up with a story and who this would likely happen to? Um, how how do they unfold once you find the place that works best for that particular book? <laughs> once I find the right coffee shop table, yeah, yeah exactly. I, uh... I usually start a book, I, I call it the big what if question. So for this book, it's like, what if <laughs> the ghosts and superstitions we grew up with were actually real and, you know, they could mess with your life and ways that you had to solve problems for. And then after I have my big, you know, what if premise question, that's when I figure out like, okay, who would be the most interesting character to throw into this situation? So for me, it was what if ghosts and superstitions are real? And then what if the person who discovers this is a person who like staunchly does not believe in superstitious nonsense at all? And so like, how does she interact in that world? So yeah, I outline super extensively. Um, my process is usually to do kind of like a first draft slash outline where I just write down like with one sentence every thing that's going to happen in the book. And it's, you know, like 20 pages. And then after that, I usually totally scrap parts of it and update it as I go, but I can't start until I have that kind of like master document of what I naively think the story is going to be about. <laughs> but that is kind of an outline. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I'd have to outline. It's a, uh, I've tried to not, I've had, I had a book that was like, nope, we're not going to stick to any outline whatsoever. You're just going to have to figure it out. And I had to stop halfway through and outline the rest. <laughs> I think, I think I'm firmly an outliner for life. I'm I'm always very curious about creativity and the creative process and where that comes from, um, and and most importantly, if it can be taught. Um, what happens for you? How does uh, after you ask the what if question? How is it that the how oh. how does the answer form? Yeah, I think it depends on the book. So it's, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes, I mean, I get, I get a pretty good sense for the world that I want first. So I like to have the character as an entry point, but then I have sort of like, where does this character live? What kinds of other people are there? So I like to build sort of like without the, without the stress of coming up with the plot, sort of build this like area that the character lives, whether that's a world or a town or an apartment. And then, come up with you know i i think i go end first this is funny i kind of do most of this instinctually so i don't usually outline how it works but i usually come up with the character and then i figure out you know what would the resolution to the story be and then i kind of build backwards from there like okay what are some obstacles that are going to you know pop up to this character 
getting or learning or becoming what they need to be. And then, yeah, I kind of built the story backwards from the ending. And that's interesting. It's, it sounds to me like it's a process of, of character, location, what happens, and uh, how it all came about. Yeah, yeah, I think plot <laughs> plot is is my toughest thing. I'm always, you know, I I have I always famously say that I that I write 20 pages before the start of the book every time. So I try to write <laughs> myself in and like explain the world to myself and none of that is interesting to a reader. So it almost always gets cut. It's like scaffolding. <laughs> you got to get to the top to build the thing, but you don't need to read all that. Well, but but and and I'm I misspoke a little earlier. I I said this was a debut for this particular character, and the phrase I was re- referring to and remembering was that um, this is your uh, uh, what was the phrase they used? I just saw it a minute ago. Uh, debut. Oh, a debut young adult fantasy novel. Um, how many books have you written? I have I've I think I've written eight. I have three out. So I have my first my first young adult fantasy is called We Set the Dark on Fire and that was out February of last year and then the sequel came out February of this year. So this is my third novel published but my first time writing for a like a middle school audience. So it's my first first time writing for this age group. And what what are what's the target for the other two books? They're like high school. I think I think they say fourteen to nineteen, so okay. just a little older. So this this new book um, and its sequel, that's well on the way, is um, skews a little bit younger. Yeah, definitely. I have a seven year old daughter, and I read it out loud to her about a month ago, and she she liked it. I definitely can't read my other books to her, so I think that's the cutoff for me. Is is that the uh, the best way to test? Yeah, it's been great. Honestly, I, I haven't been able to read my older books to her. So this, I mean, she, it was so gratifying. She laughed in all the right places. <laughs> and she had opinions about what should happen in the next book. It was great. <laughs> you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm really curious, especially because of uh, the Rick Riordan connection, if um, this is a beginning of a series for Paola Santiago, you said there's yeah, a there's a sequel. Do, do you have a plan for multiple books, or um, did you just get to the end of this one and go? But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I really did. I got, I, I, had the, I set out to write two, and then I got to the end of the second one, and kind of got to the. But wait, there's more. So we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. But guaranteed two, but I'm like, uh, I'm I'm crossing my fingers that there will be more. <laughs> we'll see. But but you're open to the idea of of creating a whole series of adventures for this character. Absolutely. Well, that's fun. I, I, I'm always fascinated by how that how that progresses, how it evolves, how it starts from a story about this uh, uh, space obsessed kid, and uh, it it you know turns into you know ongoing adventures. It's uh, it's fascinating. So the second book is uh, completely done. 
or you finished the second book. Um, what does that mean when you finish a book? Aren't there a whole bunch of things that happen after that? Yeah, there are. I think that's a common misconception is like getting to write the end at the end of your book is when you're done, but that's kind of the beginning. <laughs> Get the first draft down, and then I have a brilliant editor at Rick Riordan presents Stephanie Laurie, who we have now worked on both the books. And so we've done, I finished the, the draft, which writing during a pandemic was a whole new, <laughs> new beast to conquer. Why? Because you could only and use then, one location? Yeah, I couldn't go to my favorite coffee shop table. Um, And then also uh, wrote it mostly while surprise homeschooling a first grader. So that was new. Yikes. (laughs) Used to having those those school hours where the house is quiet to to focus. But I got some really good noise-canceling headphones, so that helped. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I sent it off to... uh, to my editor and then we did um we did a pretty pretty heavy round of revisions and that's that can you know you can do one to seven <laughs> rounds so i think seven was the most i ever did but yeah it could be infinite rounds of revision you just revise until until it seems right and then it goes off to copy edits where this one is now then you get your grammar nitpicked over and they tell you that rbs wasn't actually a thing until the 1960s or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Copy editors are the unsung heroes of publishing. <laughs> and um, then after that, you get to lay out and design and all that. And then after all that, you get to finally see a real copy of it, which is my favorite part. So how long before the uh, before the second book is out? It'll be a year, so it'll be this time next year. Okay. And, and uh, have you now, uh, apparently you've already started thinking about... Uh, about part three? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> it's uh, no guarantee. I always say the uh, the best way to continue uh, a series that you love is to buy the first book. <laughs> That's how they usually decide. <laughs> so, yes, I'm very hopeful that we'll get to do part three, though. Well, the... Um, what was that? I was, I was just going to ask something, and it went right out of my head. Um, with... <laughs> With a, uh, a, a a series. Oh, I know what it was. Um, are you working on other things, or have you full time? Have you become full time devoted to these characters in this series now? No, I'm actually doing doing another series right now too. Um, I'm I just finished my first young adult series, and then I have a uh, sort of an unannounced. <laughs> the first this is the first time anyone's hearing about it uh a new young adult project that i'm working on that i can share absolutely no details about but <laughs> it uh, definitely happens so i'm bouncing back and forth between a book for older high school age kids and then working on the pow books too so bouncing back and forth a little bit which is nice i like to have the variety <laughs> well that was worth, just bounce to the other one taylor that was a great tease <laughs> thank you yeah i'm like hopefully i'll be able to share more soon we always joke in publishing that that's uh it's like m- most of publishing is getting really really good news and then having to keep it a secret for six months <laughs> that's basically how it goes i think that happens in hollywood too um yeah <laughs> and th- that's another thing would you like to see these characters on the on the screen big or small Oh, I would love it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 
that's like everyone's bucket list. Maybe not everyone's. Definitely one of mine. I would love, love, love to see it. TV well, or movie. It could go either way. I, yeah, I think uh, um, some writers are a little bit concerned about giving over editorial control to somebody else, but, but others are just... Um, really excited when their characters uh, come to life on a, on a screen or, um, like I say, in a movie theater or on television, Netflix, whatever. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Taylor, I'm having so much fun talking with you, but we're, we're out of time. <laughs> um, but I always give that guests... It did go fast. Um, <laughs> and I feel like we could talk a lot more. I'm, I'm fascinated about... Uh, about your ideas and and uh, uh, about your take on uh, on what kinds of stories need to be told and and we could talk a lot more about that but here's what I always do for uh, guests on the show I always give them an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you about the books that you've already written what's coming up and so on do you have a website I do, yep. It's com. That's my website. And then I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Taylor K. Well, this has been great. Taylor, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you so much. This was super fun. <laughs> All right. Take care. You too. That was um, Taylor K. Maya. Uh, the book is uh, Plow. Paola Santiago and the River of Tears. And it's um, in, in some ways uh, being presented by Rick Riordan, often dubbed the storyteller of the gods. Um, he's, uh, he, he's been getting behind people that are writing stories for um, diverse audiences and it's kind of an interesting project that he's taken on but it has also uncovered some great talent like taylor anyway with that we're going to take a short break we'll be back with more of the tom sumner program straight ahead comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious. 
contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the lesson to dry us. Super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable. Contagious, awful virus. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The outpatients are out in force tonight, I see. Good. Now. I'm sure you're all aware that this week is National Gallbladder Week. And so as as sort of an educational feature at this point, I thought I would acquaint you with some of the results of my recent researches into the career of the late Dr. Samuel Gall, inventor of the gallbladder. Which... uh, which certainly ranks as one of the more important technological advances since the invention of the joy buzzer and the dribble glass. (laughs) Dr. Gall's faith in his invention was so dramatically vindicated last year, as you no doubt recall, when for the first time in history in a nationwide poll, the gallbladder was voted among the top 10 organs. (laughs) His... uh, His educational career began, interestingly enough, in agricultural school where he majored in animal husbandry until they caught him at it one day. (laughs) Whereupon, Whereupon he switched to the field of medicine, in which field he also won renown as the inventor of gargling which uh, prior to that time had been practiced only furtively by a remote tribe in the Andes who passed the secret down from father to son as part of their oral tradition. (laughs) He, uh... He soon became a specialist specializing in diseases of the rich. therefore able to retire at an early age. (laughs) To the land we all dream about, sunny Mexico, of course, the last part of which is completely irrelevant, as was the whole thing, I guess, except it's a rather sneaky way of getting into this next type of popular song, which is one of those things about that magic and romantic land south of the border. again in old Mexico, where we lived for today, never giving a thought to tomorrow, to the strumming of guitars in a hundred grubby bars, I would whisper, te amo. The mariachis would serenade, and they would not shut up till they were paid. We ate, we drank, and we were merry. 
and we got typhoid and dysentery. But best of all, we went to the Plaza de Toros. Now whenever I start feeling morose, I revive by recalling that scene. And names like Belmonte, Dominguina, and Manolete, if I live to 180, I shall never forget what they mean. Nothing more beautiful in this world than the sight of a lone man facing single-handedly a half a ton of angry pot roast. Out came the matador who must have been potted or slightly insane, but who looked rather bored. And the picadors, of course, each one on his horse. I shouted, holy, every time one was gored. I cheered at the banderilleros display as they stuck the bull in their own clever way. For I hadn't had so much fun since the day my brother's dog, Rover, got run over. Rover was killed by a Pontiac and it was done with such grace and artistry that the witnesses awarded the driver both ears and the tail. But I digress. The moment had come, I swallowed my gum. We knew there'd be blood on the sand pretty soon. Held its breath, hoping that death would brighten an otherwise dull afternoon. At last, the matador did what we wanted him to. He raised his sword, and his aim was true. In that moment of truth, I suddenly knew that someone had stolen my wallet. <laughs> Fiesta time in Akron, Ohio. But it's back to old Guadalajara. I'm longing to go far away from the strikes of the AF of L and CIO. How I wish I could get back to the land of the wetback and forget the Alamo. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.